Hey, what's up, tribe? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the TFC Audio Project Down Under. This episode is all about stress. We talk through the physiology of the stress response, the effect of chronic stress on health, how our beliefs and perceptions influence this, and of course, some simple practices you can integrate into your life to improve your relationship with stress. This week's episode is brought to you by TFC Wild Toes. I'm probably preaching to the converted, but footwear as it exists today is a pretty big problem. Most shoes are narrow and rigid, squishing your toes. The longer you spend in them, the more your feet start to adopt that shape. And before you know it, you have bunions that are getting out of control. Natural, healthy human feet have toes that spread apart and don't touch each other. We call them wild toes. Our toe spreaders fit all foot sizes and can help realign toes, stretch intrinsic foot muscles, improve balance, relieve foot pain and tension, improve posture and alignment, and increase foot mobility. And we're stoked to say we are now donating $5 from every order of a TFC original product, like our wild toes, to reforest now to plant one tree. We're hoping to plant 1,000 by the end of the year. You can check out our website, tfc-shopaus.com, to find out more about that mission and to get yourself a pair of wild toes. Alright, you're back with James and Mac, and this episode is going to be all about stress. So we've touched on stress in a few episodes about just the effect of chronic stress on your health and the importance of managing stress uh, as an overall part of health and well-being. It's played into probably a lot of podcasts we've done really. There's Mm. been an element of stress to a lot of the impacts on health that we've talked about. Yeah, exactly. And so we just figured it deserved a full episode for itself. And it's, it is actually quite a deep, <laughs> quite a deep, very deep and nuanced topic uh, that could probably have an entire podcast series devoted to it, actually. But for this episode, we'll just keep it fairly general and practical so that, you know, you get a good understanding of what the stress response is and, and how it works and how it affects your health, and then mostly uh, some practices that you can do to try and avoid the negative effects of stress because you can't always avoid all stress, obviously. Um, of course not. If only. If only. Well, 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 we'll get into that. So all of that being said, I think it is helpful to start with just a bit about a bit of depth in terms of the physiology of the stress response and, you know, where that comes from in terms of an evolutionary context because, well, we always try to start with that evolutionary context because I think the more we understand about the history and the the mechanisms or why the mechanisms are there, the better chance we have of of making it work for us. Because stress isn't a new thing. No, it's not a new thing. No, it's like as old as it comes, basically. As old as life, really. Mm. So stress does get uh, quite a bad rap in today's society and you know even we've given it a bit of a bad rap um, and this is why we wanted to delve into it more but at its core really stress is just simply the body's response to challenges or perceived challenges or perceived threats in the environment and um, which is really just a, a fundamental survival mechanism because our body has this state or tries to maintain a state of homeostasis as it's known or also known as allostasis and that is essentially equilibrium or balance a dynamic balance where you're you know you're you're surviving obviously and then if something in the environment or internally tries to throw you out of that homeostatic balance then 
you need a response in order to change that. And so, you know, easy example is the sun is really hot that day and yeah. you sweat, to, you know, you need that a response um, to maintain balance. And so <clears throat> if we just talk through the physiology of the stress response, so we won't go into extreme depth, but I think it's helpful to understand a little bit of depth. So the brain perceives some kind of danger or threat in the environment, some kind of challenge. And a classic example here is like a saber-toothed tiger. And, <laughs> and so, always go the saber-toothed tiger. <clears throat> always. <laughs> or, you know, a tree falling down or something like that where sure. you go, whoa, I'm in danger here. I need to do something. And you react. Yeah. Mind you, a lot of, most of this, or all of this stress response is subconscious. So it's not actually you thinking about it and getting stressed. It's happening, it's, it's happening like that often before you even recognize what's yeah. happening. So you perceive some kind of threat, your brain then, uh, the cortex or whatever the stimulus is, whether it's vision or hearing or um, some combination of all the above. And basically you get a signal to the amygdala, which is a part of the brain that's known as the fear center of the brain, but it also contributes to different aspects of emotional processing. And, and then the amygdala sends a signal to the hypothalamus, which is a part of the brain. It's kind of like a command center, but it acts as a link between your nervous system and your endocrine system. And your endocrine system is essentially your hormonal system. So the hypothalamus is the controller of all of these hormones, essentially. And what happens is the hypothalamus then sends a signal to the adrenals, which then release epinephrine, which is also known as adrenaline. And then that floods the body uh, and promotes that classic fight or flight response that we all, all hear about where you get an increased heart rate and blood flow to your large muscles. You get an increased breathing rate. So you're trying to get more oxygen in and especially to the muscles and to the brain. You get a, a big release of glucose and fats into the bloodstream to supply the energy to those muscles. So all of these things that are promoting movement really because it's fight or flight. Yeah. There is another option, which is freeze. But in, you know, the classic fight or flight response is, okay, there's a saber-toothed tiger. I need to run in the opposite direction or I need to get ready to fight for my life. And, or there's a tree falling down. I'm about to get hit. I need to get out of there quickly. And so often, well, the, that stress response happens even before you consciously register what happens or what is about to happen. You get that flood of mm. um, that, cas that stress cascade happens before you often before you consciously register it which is quite interesting you also get improved sight and hearing and other senses and improved immune function so not only ability to fight against predators or uh, you know or other tribes or other humans but increased ability to fight against infections because often what would happen in nature if you are under that stress response something's trying to attack you mm. and when you know when your skin gets split by saber teeth <laughs> or sabers um you're at risk of infection so you need that increased uh, increased immune function to fight that off interesting yeah and so the other option is freeze and I was reading a little bit of uh Nicole LaPera's book how to do the work she's this holistic psychologist which she has a really great Instagram page with whole heap of good content 
that around trauma and stress and depression and anxiety and, and all of these things. So highly recommend checking her out. But we've just got a new book. I haven't finished it all. I haven't barely even started it really. But I was just flicking through to some relevant areas when it comes to stress. And she's talking about the freeze response as well. And she was saying how evolutionarily that might have actually come from the fact that say you say you see a bear 20 meters away and your fight or flight response comes in you can't fight a bear really so you're out of there you're flying yeah you're running away at top top speed mm. but if the bear's already upon you and you can't fight it because it's a bear you can mm. probably try i guess you can't run because it's already got you in its jaws then that freeze response is just playing dead, basically just acting dead so that you can, <laughs> maybe the bear will let you go or, or not eat you or, or something. Is that what we see? It's not as scary as bear. I mean, for some people, it may be as scary as a bear, but I mean, people who freeze up in social circumstances, whether it's public speaking mm-hmm. or, um, yeah, I guess it, it, there's obviously a stress response going on there. And mm-hmm. when people freeze up and, and they get stage fright in inverted commas. Uh, is is that the freeze state, or is, essentially is that the well, the, f- the flee state? I guess or the flight state. Yeah, a bit of both. Both. Yeah, <laughs> but it is a stress response, and that's where it gets quite interesting. Is because this stress response really evolved under more of those physical conditions where it's some kind of predator or rival sp- um, species or rival within your species trying to attack you and you need to defend and and it's that physical danger or threat but the stress response is generic and so if you have psychological stress or psychological threat in some sense and social status is a very big thing for humans because poor social status really is very very linked to death Mm. Uh, especially ancestrally and so people's social status really matters to them and that's why public speaking is such a ubiquitous fear among so many people is because the risk of putting yourself out there in a, in that vulnerable situation making a fool of yourself or people thinking worse of you for whatever reason mm. and that is enough that psychological threat threat is enough to activate a stress response and your brain doesn't differentiate between a physical threat or a psychological threat or emotional threat or anything it's it's the same generic stress response to any of it and i'm sure we'll we'll probably dive deeper into it later in the podcast but i'm guessing these threats can take many different forms for for many different people i guess it all depends on while we don't have bears and saber-toothed tigers threatening us in our environment anymore the threats uh, you know and and the dangers aren't necessarily physical but i'm sure you know everybody has their own different types of stresses that can promote these sort of Mm -hmm. responses yeah exactly and this is where it's interesting so the what i didn't mention is that the the bear or the saber-toothed tiger isn't the stress so the that environmental factor isn't the stress that is the stressor yeah and the stress is the body's response to the stressor right and different depending on and we are we will get into this later as well but depending on how you perceive a stressor will depend will influence how much that stress response is activated or for how long and so some people might view 
something as a stressor and other people would be like, that's not stressful at so all to me. down to perception, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's a really, that's a really interesting concept that does line up with everything else that we talk about as well. Mm. But, so you get this stress cascade and you get adrenaline pumping through your veins and you get all of these short-term benefits actually. So that it's quite, stress is actually quite good for you in the short term and in the right context. A lot of that comes down to, like we say, your perception and most importantly about your perception is whether you feel this stressful event is within your capabilities. And this is what the, they term eustress, E-U-S-T-R, you know, eustress. <laughs> and it's actually, yeah, really good for immune function, good for cognition, good for memory, good for, I guess, you know, promoting movement and, and yeah, it's quite health promoting. Whereas distress, which tend, it can be short term, but tends to be a bit longer term and is perceived to be outside of your capabilities, is pretty much the opposite. It reduces immune function, it reduces cognition, and obviously feels pretty terrible. Mm. And so that difference between eustress and distress, I think, is important because if people just think stress is bad for you and I shouldn't be stressed, then they avoid anything that's stressful, but that's actually avoiding growth. And that eustress, that good stress, is what really promotes growth. So we are we are really made to adapt to stress as well. Mm. And so again, it's all about context and perception and duration. So if the stressful event continues, so the, we talked about how the hypothalamus activates the adrenal glands, and then once that, that rush of adrenaline goes down, if there's a continuing presence of the stressor, then the hypothalamus can then activate what's called the HPA axis, axis which is the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. Again, it's kind of not, not super relevant. Well, it's relevant, but <laughs> we don't have to go so deep into, yeah. the, into the weeds, but that the essence of that is then cortisol can get involved and cortisol is that another stress hormone that people are quite familiar with and that people view as bad. But again, cortisol is just an, a good, it's a, it's a good hormone in the right context and in the right balance. You just don't want it to be, you don't want any hormone to be constantly pumping. You need that equilibrium or dynamic equilibrium between states of stress and states of relaxation. So, I guess that that activation of cortisol, if that's chronically activated, that's where we especially see those, um, you know, the the decrease in immune function and some of those more negative effects because, and people might be aware of this, but cortisol or corticosteroids are used as immunosuppressants in medicine. And so, it, you know, we produce certain immunosuppressants. And I think it's more actually from reading up more, it's more to do with um, changing the focus of the immune system from, um, you know, there's two different aspects of the immune system. We should probably do a whole podcast on immunity as well. Mm. But either way, long-term cortisol is not your friend. <laughs> or, or long-term elevated above levels normal of levels of cortisol. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this, that's what we were saying before. It's, 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 I like to get into a little bit of that physiology because just to give that really deep appreciation for what the body does under the hood. Like it has all these survival mechanisms and, and really quite complex processes that help us survive under certain conditions. And, and we need to recognize that those, 
processes are built to be our friend and not our enemy. Yeah. But we need to figure out how to work with it, basically. Yeah, for sure. And I think when you understand that chain reaction a little bit clearer, it probably can help you remove yourself from that mm. stress situation and take a more bird's eye view of, okay, what's actually going on? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? And what's actually, yeah, like you said, going on under the hood rather than just reacting and stressing and then stressing and stressing some more and it all piling on. It, it, it probably could be a good technique to just try and remove yourself from the, exactly. the situation. Yeah, and that's the thing because we need, we need, right now we, like ancestrally, if we look at that evolutionary context, we'd have a stressor and once we, we'd either escape from the saber-toothed tiger or we'd die. If we escaped, then from there, the, the natural response is, okay, cool, now it's parasympathetic activity, which is rest and digest. So sympathetic is the stress response, which is fight, flight, or freeze. And parasympathetic is, cool, now it's time to recover. It's time to shuttle those nutrients back to the cells. It's time to lower the heart rate, lower the breathing rate, and just you know, hopefully eat some food <laughs> and just recover from that stressful event. And so... The problem is now we don't we we have a lot of exposure to stress in our modern environment and in our modern lifestyles a lot of psychological stresses and the physical stresses interestingly more come from a lack of exposure to vigorous movement and sleep and and all of these things and lack of quality food um and so all of these, we need the tools because all of these psychological and physiological, physiological stresses of a mismatched environment and lifestyle um, mean that we, yeah, we can't, or po- the general population, or modern humans in general, don't have that ability to drop back into the parasympathetic rest and digest. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of studies like we've talked about uh, around, hab- you know, w- when we, in the Habitat and Tribe episodes, where the disconnection from nature is very bad for us and reconnection with nature is very good for us. And a lot of that is to do with lowering cortisol and lowering the stress response, or at least balancing out that stress response is that connection to nature. And then connection with community also does the same thing. And so if we don't have those, which a lot of people don't in the modern environment or modern context, then we're constantly stressed by all of these things that are making us stressed, but we're not recovering. So it's, not, it's, not that the, it's not that the body or the brain can't access that parasympathetic response, but it's just that we don't have the tools, I guess, to, to reach that space because mm. we don't have the support. We're living in environments that we shouldn't be living in um, or habitats that, that aren't, yeah, aren't built to promote that. Yeah, and we're not given a basic operating manual of well, this is how you can tap into your autonomic nervous system, and because that that is scientifically backed now that we do have certain levels of control over autonomic nervous system, which we will talk about, and we have talked about in the breathing podcast as well that I had a chat with Tom about, mm. and yeah, we we yeah we're disconnected from nature, we're disconnected generally from community, or we've. We're only connected digitally or mostly connected digitally. And we've got a mismatch in terms of what we should be eating and how we should be sleeping and how much movement and variability of movement we should be doing. And yeah, we're not given those tools and we're not given even the awareness of how that affects us. 
is it the sort of thing that like a muscle in the body that you have to to work on to build up the ability to do this or is it something that once you recognize it you can just switch it on and off i think it would it would, it would probably be more like a muscle i think mm. different people will have different propensities to that so i i do believe that there's a certain you can have a light bulb moment or there's a certain realization or epiphany that you can have that acts like a, a light switch where things that used to stress you out just don't anymore and i know i've i've experienced that myself through you know different reading different books and different podcasts podcasts and experiences where i go huh wow i never thought about it like that oh geez that that makes so much sense and then i've had a realization suddenly a certain situation doesn't stress me out anymore because i know how i can well i know it was the same with me after reading eckhart tolle's power of now and I, that, I guess that that's what I was thinking of as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I guess that's sort of why I asked because, you know, while, and I, and I was one of those people who was living in, you know, in probably a, I've lived in habitats or environments that haven't really been good for my health, um, and then worked in environments where they probably haven't been good for my health as well, um, or good for stress. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I guess I just sort of wondered whether it was that simple to to read a book or to to have someone explain it to you through a podcast like this and to then be able to go oh because for me it felt it it, it did feel quite sudden mm, um that mm. transition it's not that i don't get stressed anymore but um yeah I, I i think it's quite interesting to note just how powerful that psychological impact can be on just cutting it out like while all the physic you can change all the physical things, you can remove yourself from this, that, and the other. But until it's actually explained and, and or succinctly communicated to you how to take control of that or, or how to view it differently, um, yeah, I, I, I do wonder what's what's more powerful, whether the physical changes or the, mm. the mental changes can. Well, yeah, I, it's it is an interesting one. I guess what's what's more in, or even most interesting about that whole concept is that the f- separation between physical and mental is illusory. It's all the Fair. same. Fair. So when you do change that mental perception or you have a change in belief or attitude about something, then that does create physiological changes in yeah. your body and then if you create physiological changes through movement or sleep or you know exposing yourself to nature then that can change your attitudes and beliefs and and everything as well and so there i get when it comes to the power of now i was going to talk a bit about this more later but it seeing as we brought it up it does quite relate to everything we've talked about just then as well in terms of that fact that we can have psychological stress through and and we can have it that stress through an anticipated event, right? So worrying about the future mm. where we go, oh my God, I've got this, say I've got, uh, you know, a speech in a week and you spend a week worrying about it and going through all these worst case scenarios in your head about what could happen if you didn't get it right or, you know, all of these things. Whereas that that threat isn't in your immediate environment and yet your mind is tiger isn't there in front of you right now about to jump on you but your 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 brain is still undergoing that stress response and 
that's something in the future or you know you could have some kind of event in the past where someone did you wrong or you know, some kind of trauma and you ruminate on that event in the past and stimulate that stress response over and over again but it's already it's You've already happened the saber-tooth attack yeah, yeah exactly yeah it's like someone going oh geez why did that saber-tooth tiger want to eat me like i'm really <laughs> you know i'm so you know as opposed to go cool i survived the tiger now i can move on with my life yeah and that's the, I mean, Eckhart, I highly recommend reading The Power of Now. He explains it all a lot better than, <laughs> than I just have. But the essence is if you live in the present moment, which is also the essence of mindfulness and meditation, essentially. Mm. Essence, essentially. Um, but the, if you live in the present moment and you're not worrying about the future or ruminating on the past, then you've got a, oh, you're far less likely to be stressed, especially if there isn't an immediate danger and if there is an immediate threat or situation that needs to be dealt with you'll deal with it the best if you're living in the moment and not distracted by future or past yeah absolutely because like you said those those hormones that are created and you know the, the physiological inner workings that are going on when that's happening in that moment the body is creating that response to deal with that threat currently right now mm, mm. Um, and so i suppose it it getting itself all worked up and producing all of these you know chemicals in the body um for something that it can't tackle now or has already tackled what good you know, you know what good is that that that's purpose yeah it's not going to do you much good and that's that's i feel that plus you know plus all of the things we've just talked about tends to keep people in, you know, chronically activating their stress response without the ability to recover from it properly mm. and without that ability to drop back into parasympathetic when they need to or when they want to. Mm. And so we can think about stress working on a bit of a U-curve. So it's great for you up until a point. And then once you get to the tip of the U-curve or it's an inverted U-curve really, so you get to the tip of the U-curve and then there's a tipping point where that stress, you know, whether it's the amount of stress or the duration, that is no longer good for you. And it starts to take a toll on your health, like we've talked about in terms of immune function and, and, and contributes to um, a lot of chronic diseases as well. So most of the, well, pretty much all of the major chronic lifestyle diseases, heart disease and stroke and cancer and Alzheimer's and depression are all contributed to by chronic stress. Mm. And we can we need to be aware of the signs that you're getting chronically stressed. And one of the biggest signs is you're having trouble having quality sleep. So you're having trouble getting to sleep or getting up in the morning. You know, there's sleep trackers and stuff available now. But other things include a loss of pleasure or a loss of sense of humor and play and your avoidance, avoidance of new things and... Disconnecting from people. Yeah, yeah. Social isolate, becoming more socially isolated, and, and that also is a stressor. You know, social isolation is a is a major stressor, like we've talked about in last in the last podcast on tribe. Mm. And so, all of these are, are signs that you're chronically stressed. But an interesting thing about the link between chronic stress and disease and death is that a lot of it comes down to your beliefs around stress. Mm. And so that they actually play a major role in how negatively stress can affect your health. And so there's a um, TED Talk, 
of, by Kelly McGonigal, who's also written a book called The Upside of Stress. And she references a study where they tracked 30,000 people over eight years and they asked them two questions. One was, how much stress have you been under? Essentially, like, what are your levels of stress? And then the other was, do you believe that stress is harmful for your health? And it turns out that people who were highly stressed or had, you know, high very big stressful life events in the previous year had a um, 43% increased risk of dying. Mm. But that was only true for people who were highly stressed and believed (laughs) that stress was harmful for their health. (laughs) And the people who were highly stressed and didn't believe stress was harmful for their health didn't have an increased risk of dying. In fact, maybe showed a a slightly protective effect. Wow. (laughs) And so... This just goes to show about the concept of your perception of yes, I'm stressed, but if if it's if I don't believe that's bad for me, then or if if you believe that it's somehow making you grow or you have a positive attitude to it, then it can actually change very significantly change how it affects you. I guess you know. Awesome to hear that if I don't think stress is going to kill me, then I'll live forever. But on the flip side, I think, you know, the real struggle that people get in these days is like we've spoken about on the podcast multiple times, people do have this underlying belief that stress is bad for you mm-hmm. and, you know, it, it's bad for your health. And those those examples you used before of, um, I guess, signs of chronic stress a lot of those things sort of are perpetuative. Like they, they, they mm-hmm. fuel the stressors and then... Like a negative cycle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I guess that must be pretty difficult for people to, to break out of. A hundred percent, yeah. And it's hard to change that perception of, of stress being good for your health when I'm stressing and now I'm disconnecting from people and I'm identifying that I'm stressing and I'm disconnecting from people and so I'm stressing more and... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Down the slope you go. And so, yeah, as much as it, it's, I think it's really cool to understand about the how beliefs and perceptions influence health, and this that's really right in line with um, the biology of belief, but which is a book by Bruce Lipton, mm-hmm. and he was the father of epigenetics, and he talks about how our beliefs create physiological changes in our body, which we've just discussed before, but at the same time, we do obviously need to recognise that, well, we just need to be aware and recognize when stresses actually need to be addressed or removed from our life. And so I guess this comes back to what we were saying about the power of now is it's not all about just going, oh, okay, the stress is no- stress is good for me or stress is normal and so I'll just endure this. If you're in an abusive relationship or, you know, a toxic workplace or you know, you've got these poor lifestyle habits that are, that are all acting as distress, so, or, you know, negative stressors in your life. It's not always about accepting them, but if, if something can be changed, then you should change it because if you, sometimes removing the, stre- the negative stressor or removing the stressor is the key thing you need to get out of that stressful pattern. It- and sometimes altering it in some way is the key thing and if you can't remove or alter it then acceptance is really is the only way 
it's it's interesting that um that whole idea of you, you know your perception of of the stress because my job before mm. I joined you um I sort of wore it as a badge of honor for the seven years that I did it that being a journalist is one of the most stressful jobs on the planet and you know it, it very often always ranks in the top few jobs of, of, of most stressful hmm. uh, and uh, chefs are up there as well oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, we've all got potty mouths so I, I, I think that speaks for itself but yeah for the seven years that I did that or at least for the first six years that I did that uh, I was like a workhorse mm. slogging day in day out and knew that I was stressed but I guess didn't understand for a lot of those years the negative health impacts that that could have and so possibly and through those years my health wasn't great i don't think my immune system was quite weak and i would often get sick uh and in the sort of year and a half two years since a i read eckhart tolle and and the power of now and then sort of helped me change my perception on stress in general and, and, and how to respond to certain situations and, you know, just being more aware of the the life I was living, removing myself from that constant stress and now taking control of my stress and, and, and how I want that to impact my life. It hasn't, you know, I've been, I've been the healthiest I've been for, for the last couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't really had a, maybe one common cold, um, touch wood but it's interesting that for that first six years while I still I guess I knew that stress wasn't great for you but it's not like I was beating myself up every day thinking oh this stress is going to kill me mm-hmm. but it still was you know yeah. or it must have been a contributing a f- factor you. yeah 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 it's an interesting point and maybe I'm an outlier but <laughs> you know but I'm sure there were probably other elements to the job that it wasn't just the stress. I mean, it was the hours and the, you know, it, it all adds to it. It wasn't the stress alone that was probably bad for my health. But yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, there would be there would be so many factors. But I also remember, you know, over the years and us talking, and you would always be very good at finding uh, meaning and purpose, or or creating that meaning and purpose in the stories that you would run. And obviously if you look back on a whole, it's like, Oh yes, you were reporting on crime and there was a lot of negative news and, and all of these things. But I would also remember you telling me about certain stories that made a big difference in people's lives where you're able to crowdfund, you know, money for people who had had a, a house fire or, you know, you were able to, you know, there was certain, meaning and purpose that you were able to attach to the ways that I was role. Able to, the ways I was able to spin it. Yeah, yeah you were sure. spinning it for yourself. And, and that, I think, really comes back to what we're saying is, you know, you had a, you had a career goal or a career vision of this is what I want to do. Yeah. And that was what you wanted to do at the time. And so finding that meaning and purpose allowed you to put up with a lot, of, like a lot of stress that maybe you wouldn't have been able to put up with or you wouldn't have been able to get through without uh, if you didn't have that purpose or if you uh, weren't really sure if you really wanted to be a journalist or if you, you know, if you, 
if you could deal with the stress, whereas then you realize, actually, I'm not sure this is exactly what I want to do. I'm not feeling the purpose and meaning in this role anymore. And then that's when you realize that you couldn't keep going. And that's what I was going to say. It was when that you know light bulb went on um, and I realized that this wasn't actually fulfilling my purpose, uh, but I was still working 12-hour days mm. and was still stressing for 11 and a half of those hours without a lunch break Mm -hmm. and I didn't have the meaning behind what I was doing, that's when it really started to... I could, you know, I could really feel the impact of that stress. Yeah. Um, And it was weighing on me a lot heavier than it had the whole seven years. I wasn't working any harder than I ever worked and I wasn't getting less sleep or, or, or any of these things, but I could... Mentally, I could feel that burden mm. far stronger once I removed... Yeah, well, once the veil was lifted, I suppose. Yeah, and I've found the same thing through different... Um, like my different roles as a physio in in different contexts where at first I'll, I'd be starting a new position or a job and, and I'd be really excited and I'd be like, sweet, I resonate completely with this uh, business or with this message and this is what I want to do. And, and so I would work, 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 work. And a lot, a lot of it was on my own business. And so I'd, you know, do all this research and, and a lot of extra effort, but it didn't, it wasn't, I guess, perceived so much as stressful because I had the why behind it. But then, you know, as your perceptions or your understanding, as my, I'll just talk about myself, as my understanding of different things evolved and I didn't resonate as much with, the way things were being done in that practice, then it would start to stress me out and I, and I would withdraw from the people in the workplace and I would do less and less until it gets got to the point where I just realized I had to leave. And so there are certain times where you do need to remove yourself from that stress and a lot of it has to do with your, yeah, your purpose or what meaning you find in what you're doing. Yeah, and did did that pod, uh, that that TED talk mention mm. uh, about you know the, the drivers behind meaning and and the links between that and stress? Yeah, and that's what that was her last line, which we both were just really impressed with because <laughs> I can't remember the exact way she said it, but the idea is that you need to when we're never going to be able to get rid of stress, and really anything worth having or doing is going to involve some kind of stress, but we need to find we need to find activities that give us a sense of meaning and then we can trust ourselves to put up with the stress that is involved with that yeah yeah she says it way better <laughs> that was long-winded but you get the idea yeah and i mean it's it's something that eckhart <clears throat> says in a new earth he talks about how uh essentially you, you can't let you you can have stress but then you can also and i, I can't think of the word that he uses but it's repurposing those stresses as this isn't something that's, you know, that's dangerous or a threat to me or is going to beat me. This is actually the fire in my belly that's going to help drive me to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, again, it's perception, but it, yeah, it's taking control of those, that, that stress and turning it into a positive. Exactly. Yeah. And Frank Francis talks about that as well. And he, you know, he, he talks about changing the story and changing the narrative, which we we did that whole podcast on the power of story. And 
this narrative rather than going, oh, this is a real, this is so stressful. I'm so worried about this. Uh, you know, I can really feel all of these things in my body happening that it's, I feel anxiety or whatever. And, and this is a common thread between what he says and what Kelly McGonigal says in that Ted talk. And, and everything is just that if you change the narrative and go, oh, my heart beating faster, that's helping me get blood to my brain so I can focus better. And, and, oh, that, that feeling of, even clamminess or like a bit jittery, that's like excitement rather than anxiety or, you know, just changing the story around what you're experiencing and really understanding that humans have adapted to be stress. They've adapted to be able to deal with stress. Like we're, mm. we're very adaptive biological machines. We've got a long, long, long history of adapting to very challenging situations in our environment and just acknowledging like, yes, I am a, you know, I'm a human. Obviously it goes for other life forms as well, but um, yeah, I'm a human. My ancestors have dealt with stress. I'm like, I can deal with this too. This is a, this is a, a challenge, not a threat. And yeah, changing that perception can make all the difference, especially if it's, especially if it means something to you. Obviously, if you're, like I said, if you're in certain situations that really you just shouldn't be in, like an abusive relationship or a toxic workplace, then often the best thing is to remove. But if you, if you really know that deep down you want to be in this situation, you can handle the stress, and especially if you switch the narrative. And you'll, I think that's something you identify pretty quickly is that mm. you can't really fool, you're in a belief system, you know, it, you can try and tell yourself that, ah, you know, this stress isn't going to beat me. But yeah, if, if there isn't that meaning in what you're doing, you'll find out pretty quickly if you're lying to yourself. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's like a gut feeling, a deep intuitive gut feeling. And that's sort of what I've always relied on when I start feeling those, those stress emotions or yeah, those negative, that feeling of negative stress. Uh, you just get this like, oh, like logically you might even, you know, for this reason, for security or for you know, yeah, financial security or for prestige or whatever, then you want to stay in a certain role or a certain position, but you just get this gut feeling that it's not right. And every time I followed that gut feeling, it's led to something better. Yeah. So here we are. Trust again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Here we are. Exactly right. So that pretty much comes to the practices section we've that's one of the the main practices really is switching the narrative mm. and trying to change your perception of stress from a negative thing to a positive thing and some things that can help with that are like a mindfulness practice where you are tuning in and, and even just being aware when certain stress patterns are being activated because a lot of people a lot of this is just happening under the hood for people that don't actually realize that that is a stress response they just they they just feel bad or they mm. just feel worry or anxious or whatever. And a lot of it is to do with that physiological stress mm. response. Mm. Another thing that is very helpful based on the research and I've, I've also found very helpful is a gratitude practice. And this, this helps to, it's, it's basically switching the narrative. It's a practice of learning to switch the narrative of, finding things or looking for things that you're grateful for rather than looking for things that you are unhappy about or stressed about. And we do have this, humans have a tendency to focus on negative stimuli. And I think we've discussed this before, mm. but 
because negative stimuli or dangerous stimuli in the environment is more immediately a threat. A threat. It's it's more immediately related to survival than our brain tends to focus on it, and so we can especially this is why news i was gonna say <laughs> yeah. this is why the news is what it is yeah because it people plays on that like to watch well they they're so they subconsciously like to watch negative stuff because they feel they need to be aware of it and even if it's not in the nowhere near their immediate environment even things overseas it's like i need to know what kind of threats are coming overseas and in, in essence it's kind of like a prep preparatory thing and sometimes that's practical and and a lot of times it's not impractical <laughs> it's but we tend to focus on the negative stimuli because that's how we're hardwired but you can as a practice you can focus on things that you're grateful for and over time if you practice this like in journaling say every day you write down three things you're grateful for then you just start to notice that your brain is being trained and then you go oh, i'm really grateful for that thing and, and i've noticed out of the blue i've noticed you actually verbalizing it like actually yeah, yeah vocalizing God, i'm so grateful that i have my eyesight was well, so, you know like just random things and and I've always found, in it, especially if I've had any some kind of injury or like I remember I had this debilitating back pain once after um, I was doing a bit of a funky move and, and I'd been, funnily enough, I was quite stressed as well at the time. But anyway, I had this debilitating back pain and, and I just remember at the time, that was about the time when I was starting a pretty a consistent gratitude practice and I was just focusing on, geez, I'm really grateful I've got my eyesight. I'm really grateful I've got my hearing. Or You just find things that you are grateful for. And you can even, the, the best thing I think to do is switch the narrative and go, I'm grateful for this back pain because I'm learning something about my the capacity of my body or I'm, you know, I get a chance to rest or I don't know. You just find ways to spin it when I'm grateful that, or if you've got a really, you've got a really annoying problem and you go, geez, I'm really grateful for this problem because it's showing me that this is the worst of my problems or, or, or whatever, however you want to spin it. Yeah. I mean, prime example was when we were down in Sydney for the, the mm. workshop tour recently. And, and I think, uh, you know, me a few years ago probably would have reacted differently to that situation. We'd had this big trip planned. We'd had two workshops we completed in Sydney on the Saturday and we're meant to be heading off to Melbourne the next day uh for the second leg of our tour and we had big plans in melbourne a workshop a move and play session we were going to go for a big hike with all the foot nerds we just a couple of podcasts podcasts at a full week booked and we'd been looking forward to this for ages and then COVID happened <laughs> and brisbane was locked down and because we'd been in the city within the time span it meant that the responsible thing to do was to come home and... Well, uh, we had to lock down. We had to self-isolate. Get a, get a COVID test. It was a whole rigmarole. Yeah. Uh, and the, the plans were completely turned upside down. And not once did I feel angry mm. or upset or sort of frustrated. Um, it was inconvenient, sure. But it was one of those things that my reaction to that, I stood back, stood back and sort of observed my own reaction to that situation and I was quite happy with myself with how I'd handled it because I think, yeah, me maybe three, four years ago would have been furious at the world. Mm. And, oh, well, you know, how could it do this when we've had this plan for so long? Yeah. And rah, rah, rah. And yeah. 
Exactly. And it is one of those things that as soon as you realize you don't have control, it's just, it's just being imposed upon you. Yeah. You just go, well, that's it. Now let's, let's figure out what the path ahead is. And we figured out what the steps were. We got an apartment. Fortunately, your uncle had that apartment free, which is great. Um, we set up a Hackmanton court <laughs> and we, you know, ordered some food in and had a really nice night. And then the next day I drove back up to Brisbane, processed all the refunds and figured out a new date. And not once, yeah, not once were we like, oh God, bloody COVID. Yeah. Because if anything, we were like, oh, cool. All right. Well, let's, this will be interesting to see how this works out. Oh, we get to be home for the Easter weekend with our families. Oh, we get to do this or that. And, and I think, I think as well, it's probably important to note that we haven't been conditioned like most people who've lived through this pandemic with curveball after curveball and, mm. you know, cancellation after cancellation. Yeah. We've Ours escaped a pretty, a pretty unscathed. Easy situation. Yeah. Like we really, that was probably one of the first real impacts that we've had in, in a long time mm. for, for and this it was whole event. A pretty minimal impact. So yeah, full yeah. Full recognition of people whose businesses have actually been completely ruined by COVID. Because yeah. it is it's it's pretty terrible. It's terrible. But it yeah. is And again a, we can't speak from that perspective yeah. of trying to turn that negative into a positive. But yeah. but there there is I mean there's endless stories of people going through terrible, terrible situations, whether it's business or personal health or trauma and they have found ways to turn that exact perceived negative situation into the biggest positive situation of their life and i know that i've found that personally with injury and with clients um you know with physio clients with injuries that at first they seem like this negative um frustrating inconvenient you know just a real pain in the ass <laughs> and then as you work through it and as you rehab and as you learn more about your body it actually becomes the best thing that could have happened to you and I, my own personal injuries and, and chronic pain in my knees helped me become a much better physio and be more empathetic with my clients and taught me a whole heap about my body and my knees have actually never felt stronger uh, including before the injuries and so yeah, it, you, it's finding the way to a way to be grateful for whatever negative situation you're in and understand the lessons that that situation is trying to teach you and then grow from it. And it may not happen in that moment either. No. Yeah. It, it may, might be, may be down the track. But yeah. yeah it, and that's why it's important to but reflect. It's, it's the only way really because the only, the only other option is that you're a victim to your circumstances and you get really caught up in it all and you just hate life and and, <laughs> and that, they're everywhere Pe yeah people like this are everywhere um and and it is it is a vicious cycle and it's and it's not good for your health and it's not good for the people around you it's not good for your relationships no it's just it's 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 a tough one to break but you just have to break it if if you if you t take a third person look at yourself and and go, geez, you know, I complain a lot about little things or I get really angry over little things or, or X, Y, Z, you just need to take a, a good hard look and go, well, do I want to be doing that or is there a different way I can spin this um, or spin this situation or situations in general to, you know, to be more grateful or to be more accepting or to be more positive about it. Mm. And yeah, I hate that it kind of sounds like, just think better, just think yeah. positively. <laughs> But it is kind of, it is pretty much the essence of it. And uh, again, I think it's, and I don't mean to drag my brother into this, but my brother Harrison, um, Harry was a, we've always said he was a 
massive warrior and a massive stressor. It was like my mum. All throughout high school and all throughout university, stressed and stressed and stressed and stressed. And all throughout high school and all throughout university, all we ever said to him is, man, just stop stressing. Like, just (laughs) chill out. Just chill out. And it wasn't until he finished the degree and only, you know, only in the last sort of 12 months has he gone on his own sort of journey to of self-awareness um you know we could have told him a million times to stop stressing but it wasn't until he took control of that identified for himself what the disconnect was and and what he needed to fix and then change the narrative himself that yeah that that he made any real progress towards overcoming that Mm. and it's a long it's a long road and it's not like it's done once you you realize that uh you know my perception of this whole thing all along has just been wrong um it doesn't change just like that but yeah uh, maybe listen to people when they're when they're telling you to to chill out but i I can understand why that doesn't help yeah yeah It it doesn't tend to help if someone's telling you not to worry uh apparently I think, oh, what was I listening to? Apparently, it actually increases the stress response. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, a lot of it has to, you know, come down to you, yeah, really being ready to make that change. And also in the context of with Harry, actually, is that I remember last mid last year or whenever it was, it, we were having chats because Harry's just graduated physio, um, but he was in the process of his final year of physio. And we, yeah, he, a lot of the stress was coming from, I don't know if this is my purpose. I don't know if I have meaning right. behind this degree. And have I just spent four years studying something that I don't actually want to do? I want to be more creative or, you know, or what, you know, he had these worries because, and I had the similar worries because I got to the end of my degree and was pretty disenfranchised with it all as well. And so... It's that voice and it's that gut feeling you're talking about. Yeah. And so just talking through with him those and listening to him and having that ability to, I suppose, to empathize with that feeling because I'd been there as well. And then talking him through the different options based on my own experience and not telling him what to do, but but listening to him and, and giving my own experience helped him figure out what path he needed to go down and that has actually transcended into a really... He's now in the best place that I've ever seen him or known yeah. him. And he's got a vision and got meaning and purpose behind it. And lo and behold, he's stressing a lot less about about it all. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess that comes back... Well, comes to the next tool that we're, or next practice that we're talking about is human connection. So... Mm the human connection is really the ultimate tool for stress resilience. And Kelly talk, Kelly McGonigal talks about this in her, in her Ted talk as well. And the idea is that, yeah, if you're feeling stressed and you do open up to someone and be vulnerable and give them the chance to listen and help in whatever way they can, then that actually mitigates that stress response or it it helps you grow from that stress response. And she also references a study where uh, I think it was, I can't remember exactly. It was, I think it was a thousand people that they studied and they asked, you know, how stressed have they been in the last year and how 
also how much time do they spend helping or caring for family members, friends, and people in their community. And they again, they found that people who were highly stressed and, and had big stressful life events in the last year were 30% more likely to die. And the people who said they were highly stressed but also spent a lot of time helping and caring for friends, family, and community didn't have that high likelihood of death. And so whether it's sharing stress or just feeling the stress but having that presence of support and human connection can make all the difference to how negatively stress affects you and, and whether it um, whether it overwhelms you or whether you can grow from it. Yeah, of course. So that, that's a really good example. I hope he, hope he doesn't mind us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> talking about him on the potty. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Haz. <laughs> um, and so those are ways, I guess, other ways to mitigate the stress response or to have that stress response or to even just have more control over the stress response there are some more physiological ways so we've talked before about diaphragmatic breathing and nasal breathing as a way to activate the parasympathetic nervous system so that rest and digest and especially if you combine that with timing so like say six seconds in or six seconds out and it's also especially uh, exhale exhale emphasized breathing where you're exhaling for longer and for like more intensely than you are inhaling so like a, like a sigh basically mm. but you can time it with a timer or there's different apps that you can get now we use one called the breathing app and this is related to activation of the vagus nerve which is one of the facial nerves which is involved in parasympathetic in turning on the parasympathetic nervous system and yeah, Andrew Huberman as well. He's got a really good podcast on stress that I'd recommend listening to. I can't remember what number it is, but if you just, it doesn't have that many. So just scroll through until you find, I think it's stress and emotions. And he talks a lot about a physiological sigh, which is a double breath in. So it's a, and then a, and so what this does is it's obviously it's part of that breath timing where it's exhale emphasized but also the double inhale increase it basically increases the air that are going into your alveoli which are the little air sacs air sacs in your lungs and a lot of them can be collapsed and when you get the double inhale like a full double inhale then it opens them up and then that obviously brings more oxygen into the system but also releases more carbon dioxide when you get the exhale and so they've found that that is really good at uh, mitigating the stress response and, and switching on parasympathetic nervous system activity and i'll have to i'll have to double check all of this but i was remember in james this just ticked for me in james nestor's book uh, breath he talks about how there's been studies where people are given carbon dioxide to inhale and they get feelings of extreme stress and anxiety and panic mm. and because it's it's essentially related to air hunger so carbon increased levels of carbon dioxide in your blood is the trigger for breathing and if you've got heaps of carbon dioxide it feels like you're <laughs> like i can't Suffocated. breathe i need it yeah i need to breathe and so it's that stress response and so obviously if you get rid of that if you get, you know, you reduce the amount of carbon dioxide, then that can help trigger that parasympathetic rest and digest response. So, uh, good, a good couple of 
sort of more physiological mechanisms rather than psychological. And that, that can be especially helpful in situations where like, you, you feel yourself being stressed, but you don't have time to go and meditate or go and journal some gratitude or, you know, you don't have time to go and connect with humans. You've just got this stressful response and you want to mitigate it. Then you do a number of those in a row and, and physiologically that's going to have an effect. It's, it is, I mean, it, more and more is becoming, you know, it's quite popular these days, the, the, the whole breath movement. Uh, but it's something that my boss said to me when I was a journo, um, mm. just as I was starting out, uh, you know, starting to do live crosses and you're broadcasting to hundreds of thousands of people live and, well, you, yes, you're just standing in front of a, a camera. You don't have 200,000 people standing in front of you. Your nerves get up and I've done a lot of public speaking, but it's a different beast knowing that you've got 45 seconds to deliver the script or, or you know, the, the story that you've practiced and, and memorized, um, but you only get one go at it. Mm. And yeah, it's intense. You've got the earpiece in your ear and you're hearing the director count down. Okay, 15 seconds left to go, 10 seconds left to go. Then you hear the newsreader start talking and then you have to jump in as soon as they finish their throw to you and Mac Lyon, what's going on? And the best trick that I got taught was to just take... And, and all it took was one deep breath, but just a big breath in and a big sigh out and level the nerves. And it, mm. it's a trick that I used, yeah, right through the career. And um, while it wasn't the, the, probably the perfect breath technique that I was using... It, it did the it, job. It did the job. Yeah. And especially if you wrap a belief around, if I do this breath, it's going to help, then yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. extra helps. Exactly. And so, yeah, there's always an interplay between physiological and psychological, but it's stuff works. And especially if you believe it's going to work, it'll work. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you see a saber-toothed tiger, then don't try a big deep breath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just run. Unless you can breathe out real strong and yeah. blow it away. <laughs> <laughs> worth, a, worth a shot, maybe. Um. So yeah, it's a, another thing that I like in terms of practices is what Frank talks about in New Old Way in terms of the yin and yang arts. So the yang arts is that more aggressive take control. Like we've talked about a lot of it's to do with your perception of your capability. And so if you take control of the situation, say, you're, say your stressor is you've got too many things to do. You could meditate all you like, but you're still going to have all those things to do. And so a yang art or that, that sort of take control aspect is, all right, what do I need to do? Set it out in a to-do list or in Trello we've got now, which has really been really helpful and start ticking it off, prioritizing and just have a ruthless schedule of this is what I do. Bang, 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 bang. And then that is going to relieve a lot more stress than just meditating or just gratitude journaling because it, you needed to have feel that control over the situation. Yeah. And, you know, things like strength training or martial arts training or things like that could also be viewed as that yang art where, yeah, if you've got some combative training or you, you know you how to handle yourself and you come across a situation that's potentially violent or, or something, then you don't get that, oh, what do I do? Then you can calmly handle it because you've been under stressful situations as well and this this comes into improving stress tolerance so exposing yourself to discomfort 
whether it's, you know, hot or cold exposure or, you know, extreme, not extreme, but just breath work of different kinds that uh, really challenge your ability uh, with breathing and vigorous movement, combative training, all these things get you used to that stress response and how to remain calm under that stress response. So when I've done jujitsu in the past, it's very interesting when you first start jujitsu, you start getting tossed around like a rag doll and you've got no idea what you're doing and your body's like, and you're just using all of your strength and you're like, get off me. And like, even though you know, they're not going to really hurt you. It's physiologically, it's like this person could kill me if they wanted to. And it freaks you out. And then you get used to it and you keep exposing yourself to that and then you learn how to be calm, you learn how to breathe in that situation, you learn how to sort of play the game and, and change the narrative and understand that they're not kill, they're not actually killing you, it's just a game. Mm. And then now I've experienced myself when I roll with other new people, then I'm on the other side where I'm breathing fine, I'm having fun, I'm relaxed, generally, you know, obviously a bit of tension, but I'm can relax into it and they're rigid like (gasps) and so exposing yourself to that it takes practice that's probably more the muscle muscle concept that we were talking about before where it takes that training and graded exposure to a a discomfort a to discomfort um but that can increase your stress tolerance so that things that used to be stressful now no longer are because you're you know you've you've trained your body to be able to handle that yeah that level of stress and then obviously having quality sleep and nutrition and recovery methods will help improve sleep uh, stress tolerance as well so if you're underslept you are eating poorly or not at all and yeah you're not you don't have good recovery methods the likelihood of you being able to tolerate a stressor is much less and you, all you have to do is think about a time that you've been underslept and how how much easier you get you snap at someone or you get irritable or you you know shout at the person that cut you off in traffic or whatever yeah you know, of it's just you just can't tolerate as much stress when you're underslept or underfed um and then the, the i guess that would come into more of the yin art so sleeping well making sure you the rest and it's the rest and digest it's the meditation it's the gratitude all of the things that we've talked about of course yeah um, I think something interesting to end on is just the, the concept of collective stress, mm. which Frank, again, Frank talks about in New Old Way. And this is how stress is kind of contagious, <laughs> you know, with, with the, the stories that we tell in our society and, you know, the things that are in the media and a lot of it is quite fear inducing. And I guess COVID's a, an easy example of how fear can be induced in a public, even if even if the people inducing that fear believe they're just telling the truth and, and everyone needs to know and so on. but um, Or even not talking about COVID because it's probably a bit of a sensitive topic, but it, it just the whole concept that we have all of this negative fear-inducing news that's happening about the climate or about the economy or about the you know, extinction or, yeah, or whatever, or Trump, <laughs> then it can really spread and people go, oh, did you hear about this? And like, it's this collective stress that builds and builds and builds and, and a lot of it is to do with stories and, and I guess you've 
experienced that a lot and we've talked about that in the in the power of story podcast but the other i guess a good thing to also remember is yes stress is contagious but the opposite is also contagious so um you know that if you're a a, a, i don't know i'm trying to think of a good word but i just think of like a chill presence like relaxed chill grateful and present person then that can actually be contagious as well yeah yeah Yeah. so i guess it's my point there is just not to underestimate the effect that you can have on the people around you through changing your own narrative as well and and i've noticed that as a lot i guess even just you know with you and i and with other people in my life where if you don't get stressed about something then someone goes, oh yeah, maybe I don't need to stress about that. Or if you, if someone is stressing about something and you stress about it as well, then it it sort of feeds you feed each other, and then vice versa. And so that, I think that was why we did so well with that situation in Sydney with the COVID situation. We we're yeah, both like, right. oh, yeah, actually, it's all right. It's all right. Where and it, everyone's asking, are you sure? Like, yeah. Oh man, that really that? sucks. And we're like, oh no, they actually, we didn't think it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> um. And so yeah, be putting again this comes back to what we talked about with tribe is just putting yourself around people who are more of that that presence or if you sense that yeah more relaxed and and present style of being and spending more time around those people can be a good way to for that to rub off on you and vice versa and i was gonna say i guess um it's probably also important for people to spread the word about stress you know and explain to people that that a lot of it is down to perception because uh, while stress itself is contagious I feel like the belief that stress is really really bad for you has spread pretty widely as well and so if we can spread the narrative that all hope isn't lost if you're a stress you know if you're in a stressful place then I think that that Mm. too can go part of the way to to flip yeah. the script. And a good thing is to do link is to link people resources like that TED Talk. Um it's like a twelve minute TED talk and really punchy and powerful and it's coming really, from really good. someone One who's done the their research. And that one's called how we can link in the show notes, but it's called How to Make Stress Your Friend, uh, by Kelly McGonagall. Um, like Professor McGonagall. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if she's a professor, but that would be pretty great. <laughs> um and yeah, she's got a book and so linking people resources and you know, you gotta you gotta be sensitive to, to people's stress. You can't just say, Oh, it's all in your head and you gotta believe it's not bad for you. But if you if you say, Oh, I saw heard this really interesting podcast, for example, on stress. <laughs> if you liked this podcast or if you resonated with it, then maybe you can share that share this with them. Yeah, go for it. And that's our exit music going off prematurely, but that might be a sign <laughs> a that it's a good call to end it up there. A good sign to wrap up. So thanks for listening, guys. Hope you got something out of this podcast, and we'll catch you next week. Cheers, guys. Bye.